0: Everybody, you're listening to Christ Fellowship based in Northeast Florida. We believe that we are broken by life, healed by his grace, and lifted together. Join us as we dive into God's word together each week. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26. We continue our discussion on the assault on the family and the methodology by which God retaliates against this assault. Whenever God wants to do something in a nation, whenever God is interested in changing a nation, whenever God is interested in adjusting the course of a nation, or even if God has no interest in the nation and has decided to let that nation fall, Regardless of the circumstances of the world, the governments of the day, regardless of the political turmoil or the economic unrest, God always begins in one place and one place alone. He always begins in the family. He goes nowhere else anytime He wishes to exact. His ideology or to influence the world as he sees fit. He goes nowhere else before he goes to the family. And in fact, I would venture to say that God goes nowhere at all unless the family goes with him. He starts in the family and He mandates that it is the family that He will use to change the world, to adjust the world, to influence the community, to glorify His name in the community. Nowhere does God go except for the family. And when He desires to change the community, and after He's done changing the community, then the county, the county to the state, the state to the nation, the nation to the world, He will not expand out to those areas unless the family is first solidified, foundationally and able to go with him and if you're thinking to yourself I'm not married I don't have children or I'm single or I don't have any of these things that is irrelevant to God's definition of a family yes it's very obvious that in the beginning God makes them male and female yes I understand that God's design for the family is that they would multiply yes I understand that there is a need for fathers and mothers for sons daughters aunts uncles grandmas grandpas and the rest however that does not mean that a single person is without a family or that they are a second-class citizen, because I would remind you that before God ever brought Eve into the mix, it was just Adam by himself, and he was a happy and whole single male with just him and God, and it wasn't until God decided to expand Adam's family, not add a family to Adam, but to expand Adam's family that then he said now we'll go ahead and make this thing a little bigger and so we begin in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 Then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness Let them man and woman have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air Over the cattle over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth So God created man in his image in the image of God. He created him male and And female, he created them, both of them bearing the full image of God. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, every other living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you. Every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. I like the end of that because God said, I have given you. Everything you need in your life, God says, I have given you. Now that does not negate necessarily the curse of man and woman. When we were excommunicated from the Garden of Eden, I understand God said, now by the sweat of your brow will the earth produce its fruit for you. That's why I sweat so much. When I'm preaching, this is the curse. The curse is not preaching. The curse is all the sweat and the drenchedness of my clothes. However, in all of this, it does not negate that God said, I have given you every single thing you need. How do I know God's given me everything you need? Well, back when everything was perfect, the only thing Adam and needed was the family and then something to sustain them. Food. Nowadays, that goes a little bit further. We've got to work a little bit more to get food. We have to spend a little bit more money to get food. If you've been to the store, anyone who has a farm and chickens and has those chickens lay eggs and sends those to the grocery store, they are now rolling in the same amount of money, it seems like, as Bill Gates with how expensive those eggs have gotten. It costs a little bit more for us to produce food to ourselves, but it does not negate that God has given us everything we need. He has always supplied the family with everything they need to do one thing and one thing alone. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. That sounded like five or six things, preacher. It is one thing, because you do not get to the dominion over the earth unless you first start out at be fruitful and multiply. Preacher, I'm not married, or I'm not able to have children. That's okay. That does not negate the be fruitful and multiply. We'll get to that in just a minute. But the whole of it, the only purpose of the family in this world is to be fruitful and multiply, to Fill the earth and subdue it and to have dominion. What does that mean? It means that your purpose in life is no greater and no less than to have dominion over the very world around you. Your purpose is no greater than and no less than than to rule the world around you as a family. Notice that he didn't say to Adam, Adam... I want you to go out there and I want to make sure that you go ahead and take all this garden and all this earth. I'm going to let you start with the garden, Adam. But I want you to take this garden and then I want you to rule over the earth. And Eve will be there by her side and she'll look pretty and she won't do it. No, he said to them. Be fruitful and multiply. You want to know what happens when you multiply one by any other number? You just get that number by itself. It does nothing. It doesn't actually multiply. You've got to have at least two there if you want to start seeing multiplication happen in that life because then you start doubling it and doubling it and doubling it. Let's have a really fun math class and I'll probably embarrass myself here in just a minute. What is two times Finley is having PTSD. I assume you're now on summer break. Math is over. That's okay. We'll just start out with the timestamp. What's 2 times 2? All right. What's 4 times 2? What's, what's 8 times 2? Okay. What's 16 times 2? What's 32 times 2? It's going to start getting awkward here. 60, what's 64 times 2? Oh, not everybody was in on that. What's 128 times 2? Two? 250, what's 256 times 2? Two? 512 what's 512 times 2 1020 what's 1024 times 2 24 someone said twice what's the point of what's the point of doing this multiplication at its base requires a doubling at its base it requires a doubling You can do more than that but it requires that, which means it's going to need Adam and Eve so before you go running and again if you are single guess what you have women in your family you can still multiply now this is not a conversation on incest I'm saying that when God designed in the entire world that he would fill it with little versions of him not little versions of you I don't get to go around and make little versions of JJ Bradley Christina does not get to make little versions of Christina Bradley we are not called to make little versions of our Ourselves, we are called to make little versions of God, and when He said, "My design is that I would have this earth filled with more little versions of me to fill the earth and do what I want on the earth, so that it looks like heaven," He said, "I'm going to need men and women in the picture. If I just have men, it's not going to work. If I just have women, it's not going to work. That's why it's so important that you find a church family as well, because you by yourself are only one gender." I understand that nowadays people like to. Say, Say that there can be more than one gender in a person's body. I understand that they say gender is this fluid construct that you can be a myriad of things. But I like when you come to the Bible because God does not really make things very confusing. You ever heard that argument? God's so confusing in the Bible. I just don't understand what He wants for me in the Bible. Everything is so mysterious and it doesn't make sense. Let's go back to the beginning when everything was perfect. Let's go back to the beginning when everything was simple. And He says He made them male Female, nothing else. He says, I've got a binary choice here. I will make you a male or I will make you a female. Now, if you're wondering what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman, don't worry about that. That's another sermon altogether. You can go back through the archives and find those. Ashley has been pulling them off Facebook and putting them on our webpage so that you can listen to them and not have to watch the whole thing. By the way, our website is cfuli.com. If you want to find those, there's some good sermons. I'd go back and listen to them if I were you. I don't mean to brag a little. I do mean... It's not a conversation about what's a man and what's a woman. Today's conversation is about the roles in the family. It's about the roles in the family and the roles of the family. Which is why it's so important that if you're a single person, you find a church so that you can have the full enjoyment of the expansion of the family of God. Which is why if you're a married couple, it is so important that you find a church so that you can have the full expansion of the family of God. Because everything that makes up a family is mothers and fathers, men and women, sons and daughters. If those things are absent, there is not the multiplication that God wants to see. And again, I remind you, this has nothing to do with if they are your children. This has nothing to do with if you are married. It has everything to do with that God has said, I will use my church to craft a family that is reflective of heaven in the community so that that family can go out into a broken world and transform the community around them into a garden that is reflective of heaven. So let's go ahead and talk about the roles inside the family. And before you get to Ahead of yourself and run to the book of Ephesians and run to that part where it says the husband is the head of the household. Let's stay back in the garden real fast before we get all caught up in that. I bring you back to the place where God said it is not good for man to be alone. That doesn't necessarily mean nowadays you have to be married. You want to know how I know that? Paul said in the book of Corinthians, if you're single, stay single. Because if you get married, it's a headache. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what he said. He's not saying it's a bad thing to get married. He points out the greatness of God. He points out the union of a man and woman in the book of Genesis. But he's saying that in this fallen world, when you take a man who's very different from a woman, and you take a woman who's very different from a man, and you try and fuse those two together to make one flesh, it's going to make A headache it's going to make a storm it's going to make chaos why because number one there's sin in the mix so no matter how much you love God you live in a sinful world and there's a bunch of things going on around you and sometimes we let those things influence us number two because a man and a woman are so different and a man has a way that he thinks things should go and a woman has a way she thinks things should go when you bring them together it's going to cause conflict so Paul says it'd be better for you to stay single if you find a wife if you find a husband Have at it as much as you want. If you find someone to marry, do not restrain yourself. But don't go looking for trouble, for lack of a better term, is what Paul says. So single is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. But neither one of them is better than the other. It is not good for man to be alone. And what does God do? Puts Adam into a deep sleep. And while Adam is asleep, God reaches into his side and pulls out a rib takes that rib and makes a woman and then wakes Adam up and says Adam I'd like to introduce you to your wife you go ahead and name her Adam that's the job I've given you name the animals tend the garden that's why Adam got to name Eve that's why when there is a marriage the wife takes the last name of the man that's the biblical premise because the man is being given permission to name how the family will reflect God and Adam looks at Eve and Eve looks at Adam and what's interesting is that they didn't start fighting When you get married, it's a wonderful day, but leading up to the marriage, that pre-husband and pre-wife, if you remember the planning of the marriage, usually it's war getting that thing off the ground. Sweetheart, do you care what we go ahead and have for the centerpiece? I don't care what we have for the centerpieces. Just go ahead and pick whatever makes you happy. All I'm going to do is be standing up at the all- What colors do you want for the wedding, honey? I don't care what colors. What do you think makes you look prettiest? Pick the, why don't you want to be involved in the wedding with me? Because it's too much work. It's what you care about. I'm just excited for the honeymoon, said every guy ever. That's all they're thinking. You don't worry about that. And the wife and the husband are now already back and forth, back and forth, before they even get married. Then they get married. Don't they look so pretty? Don't they look so perfect up there? They're so happy. They're so excited. Meanwhile, depending on how the wedding planning has gone, they're staring at each other with glaring laser eyes like Superman, like, listen, when this thing is done, after we've said I do, we're going to have a talk. You spent a lot more money than we said we'd spend. I thought I could go ahead and have the wedding I want. That's what they're saying back and forth with their eyes. You can't hear it because they're so in love up at the altar and they're in their dress and their nice tuck and they're back and forth and then after they get married, then there's the go ahead and a reception and they're running around and everybody's so happy. We're so excited for you and then as soon as the honeymoon starts I guarantee you there's an argument within the first week it might be an amicable argument it might be a nice argument where they're just kind of no it's okay you do what you want I don't mind but I guarantee you there's going to be an argument where do you want to go to eat I want to go here well I want to go here I thought you loved me why can't I it is difficult introducing a man and a woman into one flesh it does not take long for chaos to settle in And yet we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam is introduced to Eve. Eve is introduced to Adam. And all of a sudden, it's immediately peace. You want to know why there's immediately peace? Because when Adam looked at Eve he did not have this idea in his head well since I was the first one made and that makes me the head of the garden which he was the head of the garden since I was the first one made and he was since I was the one God gave the commands to and he was, since I'm the one that God had to pull Eve out of so that he could even make her and that is true, Adam did not have an attitude that all of a sudden Eve was less than, no he saw her as an equal because when God said it is not good for man to be alone what he said is I will make A mate comparable to the man, meaning I will make him make her different, but she will be of equal value, of equal intellect, of equal process, of equal importance, of equal priority to the man, which is why we have so many problems when it comes to the family because everybody is fighting for first place. Headship does not mean first place. Being the first one made does not mean first place. If you're single, that does not mean you're just sitting in second place waiting for a first place to show up. If you're a man and you're not married and you don't plan on getting married or you're not waiting for the marriage and everything like that, that does not mean you're first place and any woman around you is somehow less than you. What it means is you are different and comparable, meaning equal of nature, equal of value, equal of importance, equal of in priority, but a different role in the kingdom of God. Once sin settled in, all of a sudden it became, well, I'm the husband, and since I'm the husband, I'm the head, and since I'm the head, and since, let's just go ahead and talk about this real fast. If you're a lady, have a career if you want one. There's nothing wrong with that. By the way, if you're a lady, feel free to be a stay-at-home mom if you would like to. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're a man, have a career if you want one. If you're a man, be a stay-at-home dad if you want to. The only purpose of the family is to cultivate the home. Nothing else. The only purpose of the family, let me say that again. The only purpose of the family is to cultivate the home. Preacher, I'm the one that makes the most money in this family. The only purpose of the family is to cultivate the home. Preacher, it's just me and my household. The only purpose of the family is to cultivate the home. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do with the only purpose. Well, what am I supposed to do with my... The only purpose. Well, I don't understand what God wants... The only purpose... You do anything outside that. You place anything before the cultivation of the home. You do anything other than that and you have missed the will of God in your life. Single, married, orphaned, grandparents, no grandparents. No aunts, no uncles. No children, children. Single mother, single father with kids, kids in foster. The only purpose of the family is to cultivate the home. How do I know that? Because where are you fruitful? in the home. The only place you're fruitful that multiplication happens is in the home and we're not just talking about intimacy we're talking about the whole gamut of the only place that fruitfulness and multiplication occurs is in the home you don't just go running out let's go ahead and take gardening for an example now I know we've got some beautiful blueberry bushes over there and I've been told on good authority that this Saturday will be the ideal time to harvest them I don't know if that's true I know nothing about gardening what I do know is is that because that tree is on this church's property, there's a lot of people in here who are probably going to go and pick blueberries this Saturday now. If you do, I expect something delicious next time I see you. Lots of whipped cream, if you don't mind. Please keep it soy-free. I don't want to be miserable all night. you got to share that with everybody. And nobody in here has control over that thing. It's a wild bush. It just grows on its own. You want to know where you see actual thriving take place when it comes to the cultivation of a garden? In something that every time you walk out to it, it's right there in the morning when you wake up. When you wake up, it's right there for you to tend to. In the middle of the night when everything goes bad and all of a sudden there's a frost coming, you can run out to that thing and cover it. There's no one protecting that bush out there when things got cold around here for a little while. I lost two baby palm trees, mostly because I didn't like them. I let them die. I didn't mind that. But if it came to a blueberry bush, there's no one here to protect that from the frost. It had nothing. But if it was at your house, I guarantee you would run out there with whatever those blankets were and cover that thing. Or if it were an orange tree or a lemon tree or whatever it was, when it is at the home, it has your attention. When it's at the home, it has your presence. When it's at the home, it has your cultivation. This thing somehow has grown beautifully on accident, but there's no guarantee. And by the way, now that it's grown, it's up for grabs for anybody who wants it but in the home you have control over how the thing grows you have control over when something comes in and tries to infest it when pests come in and try to begin to devour it when poison comes in and tries to cause it to wilt and you have to cut off those branches quickly so it doesn't infect the rest of it it's the home where fruit grows the best because you're always there you're always there to tend to it Multiplication and fruitfulness happens nowhere else except the home. So if you're a man and you've got a good career. And the attitude is, well, I've got to make money to put food on the table. And I've got to make sure to supply for this family. And in doing that with the attitude that, well, I've got to make sure I've got money and I'm the only breadwinner. And that means that I've got to go ahead and make all the money to make sure the family has everything. If that job takes you away from the home so that you are no longer cultivating the home. If more of your time is spent at the office cultivating the office instead of tending to the home, you're wrong. Lose some income, tithe a little less because your income has gone down, and cultivate the home. If you're a woman, now listen, I understand things are confusing today. I understand we don't call them moms anymore. We call them birthing persons. At least I've been told. But if you're a woman, you're the only one that can cultivate a life inside of you. You're the only one that can grow a life inside of you. You're the only one that can bring life into being by using your body. You're the only one that actually has the capacity to sustain another life by using your body. I'm not saying you have to stay home, I'm saying it makes sense when a mom or a woman desires to stay home, because when you've had something grow in you, you become attached to it a little bit faster than that dad does, and when you've had something come out of you that has actually taken a toll in your body, you want to make sure that thing is tended to and cultivated and grows up well, and then all of a sudden you are sustaining that thing with your body, it makes sense why many times women have a greater desire to be in the home at all times than men do that being said if a woman wants to have a career or if she makes more money than the man have at it as much as you want as long as it does not take you from the home you ever heard this statement the wife's place is in the home keep in mind that's true just as long as you remember where's the husband's place it's not in the office It's not off fighting wars. It's not off having fun with friends because, you know, he doesn't have to worry about the kids as much because mama's got it under wraps and control. No, the dad's place is as much in the home. And let's talk about this as well. If you're single or you don't have kids, we like to think as kids or as the family, the person that we're married to. Well, that's the person we have to tend to. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Adam had a family and a garden to tend to before Eve ever came in the picture. Adam and Eve when they were married, had a garden to tend to, and a family when there were no kids in the picture. So don't be confused that, well, if I don't have kids, then I don't have a family to tend to, and I don't have a garden to tend to in my home. Don't be confused that if you're single, well, because I don't have a spouse, that means I don't have a garden, and I don't have a family to tend to. God always says, regardless of your position, man, woman, boy, girl, son, daughter, your responsibility is to the home. You want to know why the world's so messed up today? Because for the most part, home doesn't exist anymore. Stick with me, because you understand I'm not political when it comes to my preaching. And so when I say that, it is to let you know that this is not a political statement. But let me make something clear. Welfare is one of the worst things to ever happen to this country. You want to know why? And I'm not saying get rid of welfare. I'm not saying stop all that. There are plenty of people who need that. But what welfare is, is a reminder that in the 1930s, when the New Deal was started, what happened was that the church failed to be a home anymore. How do I know? The Great Depression hits. Now listen, I understand. I have no clue what it was to go through the Great Depression. I have no understanding. I have no concept of relevance. I have no standard by which to measure it, where I would wake up every day and I would have no food and I would have no money and I'd wonder how I was going to do it. I've heard stories of men who grew up in the Great Depression. My pastor, if I understand the story correctly and I remember it correctly, his father grew up in the Great Depression. And what he would do as an eight-year-old boy would stand out outside a match factory every day waiting for an opportunity to go inside and take a broom and push around matches so that he could make about 35 cents and go home and put some sort of food on the table for his family and he couldn't take any bathroom breaks because god forbid if he took a single break there was about a hundred two hundred three hundred other kids waiting right outside the door to take his place and take that money so they could feed their family i have no clue what it was like What I do know is that when turmoil comes, when the garden starts getting a little bit thin, that does not mean it's time for the church to stop cultivating the world. What ended up happening, I don't blame the church, I'm not mad at them, but look at the consequence of it. When all of a sudden food became scarce, the church became more concerned with itself rather than the world around it that was hurting just as much as they were. And they created a vacuum, and the government stepped in and said, we'll play the part of the family. We'll play the part of the provider. We'll play the part of the cultivator. We'll play the part of the cover so that you can have a place safe. And look at where it has gotten us. Because the church stepped away from the position of the cultivators of the gardens that God had given them, because of fear and scarcity, a godless government stepped in, and look at we are today. I can tell you exactly why there's about 300 genders nowadays. It's because the government has no interest in the word of God. Now, I understand that this country was started with a constitution that says we hold these truths to be self-evident and all of those things. But keep something in mind. The founding fathers, despite the fact that many of them were deists and Christians and believed in God and made statements such as the only way that this thing will work is if there is a moral foundation in the family. I get all that. Even though they did that, they did not mandate That we worship Christ, which means they did not actually write Christ into the Declaration of Independence or into the Constitution or into the preamble, they referenced him, but they did not write him in. And as a result, what ends up happening is you have a government that can go ahead and say, well, we'll reference God, but we're going to do whatever the heck we want. And so that's why we have all these genders today, because there's no mom and dad at home teaching kids. There's a mom and there's a dad. There's a boy and there's a girl. Let me explain to you something. If the church had not missed it in 1930, we most likely would not be in as big a mess as we are right now. Don't get rid of welfare. Do not misunderstand, because let me explain something. The church is not ready to handle the vacuum that would be created. Want to know how I know? Because most of the church doesn't even tithe nowadays. 4% of the people that attend church across this nation support 100% of the financial needs of the ministries of the church. That's food outreaches. That's keeping the lights on. That's pastor salaries. That's orphanages. That is mission trips. That is every single ministry that a church does is supported by 4 percent. church isn't ready to actually be the cultivators of the garden again. Maybe not at a national level. But this church, we ought to be ready to cultivate our community. You can't cultivate a community around you unless you're cultivating the home. Isn't it interesting that God said, subdue the world? But he put Adam in a garden. The Garden of Eden wasn't the whole world, was it? A small little portion of the world. But he looks at Adam and says, Adam, Eve, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God, there's two of us. You want us to fill this whole thing? Fill the earth. God, it's me and Eve. You want us to fill the earth. Never mind the fact that we're so busy tending the garden you've given us, God. How are we supposed to be fruitful? Multiply. Fill the earth. Earth, everybody's so concerned, how are we going to reach the world around us? How are we going to reach the nation? Let me tell you how you reach the nation. You start out by taking care of the garden. See, nothing's changed. God said, I want you to have world domination. That's a little James Bond villain, isn't it? God's design for the church is world domination. I like that. I think I'll start wearing a nice... $10,000 Armani suit, maybe I'll change my accent to whatever that deep British or maybe that German thing is. I don't know if I should have a German accent. That didn't work out last time someone was in power with a German accent. We won't do that. World domination is the design of God. But not so that you and I can be tyrants. So that the world looks like heaven. Preacher, what do I do about income? If it takes you away from cultivating the home, Quit. Preacher, what do I do about food? If the only way that you can put food on the table is by neglecting the home, then you need to pray for another job. If the only way that you can get what you need in the household so that the lights are on, so that the AC is nice, so that the heat is running, if the only way you can have the amenities of comfort in your life, if the only way you can have even the necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing, if the only way you can get those things is by neglecting the garden of the home, then it's wrong the minute anything takes you away from the garden god has placed you in it's wrong preacher we need money so that we can feed the kids yes you do preacher that means i've got to have a job yes you do preacher that means both of us might have to work that's fine preacher that means we might not be at home as much that's fine too my question is is when you're at home are you just existing in the house Or are you making it something that grows, that can sustain life? I'm tired when I get home from work. I'm tired at the end of the day. These kids have exhausted me. They've driven me wild. I'm tired. I'm lonely because I'm the only one in the house and I don't feel like doing anything. And it feels like the whole place is vacant and empty. Then fill it You want to know why you're tired? Because you're not producing any fruit at home so it can sustain you. We've started to equate money to fruit. We've started to equate the existence of a house to being the home when the reality is is that the home is the people living in it, not the house that encases them. When the reality is is the fruit that sustains us is not the money that we use to put in the bank so we can keep the lights on. The fruit is the things that when life gets hard, when it becomes overwhelming, when it seems as though everything is crushing me, the fruit is when I can reach in while I'm being crushed, take a bite and still lay my head down at rest tonight, even though it's chaos all around me. We've missed it entirely. And part of that's because of the curse of sin. But let me remind you, Jesus did not save you so that you could live under that curse. The role of the family is the home. The end is subdue the earth and have dominion. You don't get there until you start out being fruitful in the home. You don't get there unless you start out multiplying in the home. You want to know what God wants you to do with your life? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Everybody wants to rush to dominion. Doesn't that sound so good? Dominion, that's a powerful word. It means that I am in such a position of authority that I can enact my absolute will on whatever I please in my world. Dominion is the idea that I am in such a position of authority and power that there is nothing that can stand against me, that there is nothing that even if it does rise up against me, it has no hope of coming against my will and desire. There is no chance that it can survive. You want to know how you get there? You go back to where God said, be fruitful. And multiply. We've messed it up so much in the church today. We've messed it up so If I can just have enough money, then I'll have dominion. If I can just have enough influence, then I'll have dominion. And we do all these things at the neglect of the home. Preacher, what do I do then? Let's go ahead and start out real easy. Let's say you're single. Let's say you're not getting married. Let's say you got no kids. Simplest form you can be. Why is it when you come home, it's not peaceful there? You're the only one there. Why is it when you walk into your house, you do not immediately feel the presence of God creating an atmosphere of rest around you? Why is it that when you walk past the threshold of those doors, when you feel the weight of everything that has happened in your life that day, why is it when you walk past those doors, the first thing that greets you is not the presence of God saying you are home, it is time to unload and rest see we see that verse all the time where jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke for my yoke is light and my burden is light we see those and then we wonder god why is it i have no rest because we've not made the home a place of rest you know it's easier to do that when you're single Many of you add another person. Now it's not just your spirit you got to worry about. It's their spirit you got to worry about creating chaos in the house. Now when you have kids, it gets even harder. You see how much easier it is to cultivate the home when it's just single? Tom, you're in the best position of anybody in here right now. You can walk into that home and there is nothing but you and God to create an absolute atmosphere of glory and rest and peace. You literally have the best escape. That any time the world is in chaos, all you have to do is walk right past your threshold into an atmosphere of grace some of you want to be single all of a sudden if you're married don't do it you're not supposed to <laughs> singleness is not a curse by the way marriage is not a curse either don't misunderstand but let me explain something the home should be cultivated into a thriving kingdom of god just as much when you're single now, let's go ahead and add a spouse. Now, let's go ahead and add that wild card, that joker. And all the women in here were like the husband's the joker and I'm the queen. That's probably true. Husband and wife. I don't care if you're both married and only one of you works and the other one sits at home all day sitting watching soap operas eating bonbons. Which, by the way, if Christina and I were single, I would be the one sitting at home all day watching soap operas and eating bonbons because I'm a pastor and I don't work more than one day a week. She's the nurse, so she has to go and make actual money. All of you took that way too seriously. I work more than one day a week, thank you. No kids. Even if one of you stays at home, That does not mean the focus of your life that day is making sure the house is clean. That does not mean the focus of your life today is making sure dinner's on the table when the other spouse comes home from work. That does not mean the focus of your life that day is making sure the house is nicely decorated. That does not mean the focus of your life that day is making sure that all the colors match. That does not mean the focus of your life that day is making sure all the mechanicals in the house work and making sure that the roof is in sound situations so that when a hurricane comes through, that does not mean the focus of your life if you're at home and you don't have any kids, that does not mean the focus of your life is the building which you live, making everything look nice, making sure the fridge is stocked, making sure there's dinner on the table or lunch on the table or breakfast. No, the focus of your life is to make sure that you have a nonstop cultivation of peace in that household. See, the thing about being single is at some point you've got to leave the home so that you can go out and work and bring things back so that you can keep everything running. And so the only time that you can actually cultivate the home is when you're at home but when it's just a man and a woman married together living in the home and one of them goes off to work that means there should be 24 hour cultivation of the peace of God in that household because that means their only interruption is each other you want to know what you ought to make sure when your husband comes home from work you want to know what you ought to make sure when your wife comes home from work when they walk through the door it shouldn't be dinner on the table it should be peace in the house It should be the grace of God filling that place. It should feel as though when you walk past that threshold, it's not just an encompassing place of safety, but that what you've walked through is an iron gate into a fortress that will keep everything out that has no business being in the Garden of Eden. And since there's two of you now, even though sometimes both of you might vacate the home, it means that there ought to be more time of no interruptions that that place is a stronghold a place of a bastion of safety that when you walk into it i have to have no fear of what's outside the house getting in you want to know i knew adam and eve messed up way before the apple because the snake got in now they didn't sin when the snake got in that was not the sin what i am saying is they stopped paying attention to the garden the way they ought to have. How in the world does Satan walk into the house and neither of them knows it? Let's go even further. How in the world does a snake walk into that house with no name? Adam and Eve were tasked with naming all of the animals in the Garden of Eden, which means they were very familiar with those animals. Those animals knew the voice of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve called, those animals came running. And all of a sudden, this wild animal comes slithering in. Adam and Eve, when they call to it, it doesn't come. They don't know its name, and it walks up and starts talking to them. The problem before the apple even came in was that Adam and Eve had stopped paying attention to the garden to make sure that nothing that didn't belong there could get in. The conversation Adam and Eve had with the snake should have happened at the entrance to the garden, not at the tree. Where are the kids at? Adam, Eve, you got any kids? No kids. Single, that place ought to be filled with peace. Married, there should never be a moment where there's a miss in peace because you're not looking to put dinner on the table. You're not looking to put light fixtures in the ceiling. You're not looking to make sure the AC works. You're looking to make sure that thing becomes an impregnable fortress, that the only thing allowed in there is the grace, mercy, power, and authority of God. Let's add some kids. What's the role of the family? Cultivate the garden. What's the role of the family? Be fruitful and multiply. What's the role of the family? In the home. If you are a kid, guess where your role is? In the home. Cannot believe I heard someone on TV, you all know who it is, the President of the United States said they're not your kids, they're everyone's kids. What a godless thing to say. Now, that does not mean that I think the former president was a better president or a worse president. And I don't hold them accountable to that because at the end of the day, it's not their responsibility to cultivate the home. Their responsibility is to their home. They just have to be in a position of governance. But the problem is, is that the only reason that the president was able to make that statement, they're not your kids, they're everyone's kids, is because the home is no longer cultivated so that the kids have a place to come and rest. Now that does not mean you keep your kids at home that does not mean you shell them off so that they can be hidden away from the world that does not mean you try and make that place an impregnable fortress so that not only does nothing get in but nothing gets out I've seen parents like that and I understand the world is a scary place it's not a place that is very kind or safe for children and in the same breath you cannot keep the children at home for all eternity so that they never grow into the man or woman God wants them to be then what's the purpose at home be fruitful and multiply you want to know what you're supposed to be doing in the home? You're supposed to be teaching those children that home is the most important place. You're supposed to be teaching those children this is the place that you grow. I know you go to school to get an education so that you can get information. But when you come home from school, this is the place that we take that information and we siphon through what is truth and what is opinion, what is godly and what is godless. And I know that when you go out there, you've got all those friends with those different ideas. And I understand they have some different ideologies and it's fine for you to hang out with them. It's fine for you to hear those, but the point is to come home, unload it all on mom and dad so that then mom and dad can interact and cultivate. Mom and dad, your goal is not to make a little you. Your goal is not to make a little version of your wife or your husband. Your goal is to teach those children what a garden looks like. Nothing else. Because the only thing that's supposed to grow in the garden are trees and plants that are good for food. What did God say? I have given you every tree that bears fruit after its kind and every plant that bears fruit. After it's kind. What was he saying? He's saying the only thing that belongs here, Adam Eve, are the things that I've placed here that will bring you life. When those kids come home, mom and dad, you wanna know what they ought to do? They ought to take all the seeds and the plants that they've gathered out there that day. All the plants and seeds of thought that they got at school from the teachers and instructors. They ought to bring all the plants and seeds that they got from hearing their friends. They ought to bring all the plants and seeds from whatever music they heard and whatever movies they watched, whatever video games they played, whatever conversation they had. They ought to bring all the plants and seeds that they got from TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. And they ought to take all of those seeds, mom and dad. And here is the kicker. You need to have made your home such a safe place that they can take all these seeds that they've got because they don't know the difference between what's good for food and what's not, by the way. They ought to feel safe enough to take all of that and dump it in front of you. And for you not to look at them in disappointment and say, I can't believe you brought that in my house. I can't believe, that doesn't belong, I can't believe you. You want to know what it ought to be? It ought to be, tell me about this. Where'd you get this? I want to know about it. Do you understand that this doesn't grow into something that's beneficial to you? How in the world is a child ever supposed to know how to grow into a grown man or a grown woman if the very place that is supposed to grow them is not willing to let them feel safe enough to dump out all the mess that they've gathered that day? I guarantee I will not do this perfectly, especially as my children get older. My hope, by the grace of God, and you can call me when they're teenagers and tell me that I've probably messed it up, and that's probably true. But my hope is that Christina and I, by the grace of God, that when Judah comes into the house with something that doesn't belong there, rather than her and I having a moment of fury or disappointment or shame, how dare you bring that into our house? Rather than that, I hope it's, son, let me show you what this grows into and why we can't have it here. Let me show you what this thing will become and why it doesn't belong here. I know you didn't know, I know you didn't understand. In fact, I even know that you might like the taste of it, but let me show you what it actually becomes. I don't think there's anything wrong with the fact that you like the taste of it. In fact, if I'm being honest, it's something that personally I like the taste of too, but I don't eat it because it's poison to me. It needs to be a place where the kids can come in. Mama, Dada, look what I got today. And rather than reacting in fear and terror, oh my goodness, I can't believe you brought that into my house. How dare you bring that into my house? What are you thinking bringing that? Rather than that, Can I show you what this grows into and why it will ruin you? Now, I'm not saying don't have standards. Sin is sin. And after the initial conversation of why that thing is not good for them, and after the initial conversation of why that thing doesn't belong in the house, there is nothing wrong with tossing it out of the house. You don't want weeds growing in that garden. And if they bring it home again, there's nothing wrong with saying, you understand this doesn't belong here. I can't let it be here. There's a consequence for bringing it in again this time. But it ought not to be a place of fear. It ought not to be a place of shame. Let me say something that I'm pretty sure is impossible to do, that I know God wants us to do, that I will probably never accomplish because of the difficulty of it outside of the grace of God. My son ought to be able to come into the house with something that he knows does not belong there. And that when I catch him with it, his reaction is not to cower, but to run to me and say help me do better dad you know how difficult that is To teach a child that when they've done something wrong and they know they've done something wrong and they know there's going to be a consequence, do you know how hard it is to teach someone that is under you, whether it's your actual biological child or whether it's someone that God has placed in your life as a spiritual son or daughter, do you know how difficult it is to cultivate the relationship that when they know they've done wrong, when they know there's going to be a consequence, that the reaction is still to run to you in love and say, I'm ready to take the consequence. I don't like it, but I want to be closer to you than I want that thing. God forbid my children ever come home thinking of an alternate lifestyle. And I'm not speaking that into existence, but I'm illustrating the depth and the difficulty of this. God forbid that ever happen. Because I'm going to have to look at my child and say, this is still your home. And I'm going to still help you grow. And I still love you and accept you in all of your brokenness just the same way God accepts me. And in the same breath, I can't have that in my house. How in the world do you balance that? I cannot imagine the difficulty a mother and father that loves God and loves their children... I cannot imagine the heartache they've gone through trying to demonstrate that they still love and adore, that they're not disappointed or ashamed of their children and in the same breath have to say, this thing that you think is your identity, it's not you and it doesn't belong in here. I can't imagine how to say that and at the same time say, But I still love you more than anything in this world. And God still loves you more than anything so much that He sent us. I can't imagine how to balance the words of saying that you are still loved and adored while at the same time saying this thing that you think is you isn't you and it can't be in here. That's why when you're single, it's so important that you start out cultivating the garden. Before you ever bring someone else, because it's hard enough to cultivate the garden properly by yourself, and then when you introduce someone else into the mix who has a different idea or view of the world, it's tough for the two of you to get on the same page to honor God and cultivate the garden in a way that honors God together. If we miss the places of cultivation in our life when we're single it's going to show all the weeds even more when we're married. And if we miss getting rid of all of the mess and the weeds when we're married, it'll show up even more aggressively when children are introduced into the mix. Why? Because kids don't know what should and shouldn't grow, and they'll let anything grow that they think is pretty. That's not an indictment on children. And that does not mean the garden's got to be perfect before anybody else shows up. Not possible. By the sweat of your brow, the ground will produce its fruit. It's not possible to have it perfect. What I am saying, what is possible, is God, you said you'll supply all my needs. You said I'll never be hungry. You said I'll never be without clothes. And I'll never be without shelter. I did not say your appetite would be satisfied. I said your hunger will be satisfied. I have a big appetite. It's never satisfied, but I am never hungry. God, you said you'll always have my shelter, my clothes, my food. Give me a job that keeps me at the home. Give me a life that keeps me at the home. I'm not talking about work from home. I'm saying that your job needs to stay at work, and you need to be in the home man or woman i don't care how much money you need i don't care how big your debts are i don't care how much crippling debt you've put yourself in the first thing you need to be asking god is god i've gotten myself in debt i need you to help me with my finances but in the same breath i cannot afford to have a job that takes me away from cultivating the garden that you've called me to cultivate your place is in the home the role of the family is nowhere else but the home And we have no business, God, what do you want me to do with my life until we've taken care of the home? God, what do you want me to be when I grow up until we've taken care of the home? God, what do you want me to do with my finances and my house and and where I'm living until we've taken care of the home? There is no other question that ought to come to our mind until we have handled, God, how do I take care of this garden you've given me? The greatest lie ever fed to the United States of America was you can have it all as long as you get out of the home. And with an attitude of the American dream, which is a wonderful thing, with an attitude that I will work myself to have everything I want, we've sacrificed the home. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's on your mind or your heart. We just need to repent for leaving the home. We need the forgiveness of God for forsaking the home. We need the grace of God to rebuild our homes. This church is a wonderful place, but it's secondary to the home. This church family is a wonderful family, but they are secondary to the family of the home. Lord, I ask that you would bless us. Lord, forgive us and let us run to you to learn how to make our house a place of peace, a place of strength, a place of safety and a place of growth.